Hey folks, Zade here with another episode of Drama Quest. Well, sort of at least. This is the first episode that is going to have a lore focus for us. So it is a lore quest episode one, perhaps. I don't know what we want to call it, but I'm excited. I don't think it'll be the one to two hour experience that we normally get because it's just going to be me solo. And I think I'm going to run through this lore relatively quickly, but we'll see kind of how it turns out. So anyway... Um, today we're going to be talking about uh, our first bit of lore, and I figured why not start with the epics. So I'm going to be doing uh, hopefully like two lore episodes a week. One will be a solo epic piece, and then the other will be a random topic um, that was given to me by patrons, or uh, just came to me, or you know something that I felt like we should do. Uh, so today's topic is going to be the Bard epic. Why the Bard epic? Um, well. It seems only natural that we would do the Bard Epic because it's just the first one alphabetically. So I figure we'll knock that out and we'll we'll keep going alphabetically down the line. I might do Berserker and Beast Lord out of order because they came later. So we'll do the original classes and then we'll do Beast Lord and then we'll do Berserker. Um, most likely, I'm I'm definitely less familiar with those epics. I've never completed them myself. So uh, for that reason, yeah. Um. But with that said, before we even get started here, we need to shout out our patrons. So if you guys don't know, we uh, have a Patreon here that helps support the uh, the podcast. And uh, we have, you know, I think I opened it like two weeks ago, not even two weeks ago. And I've had a, a huge outpouring of uh, of support thanks to patrons who are enjoying the show and I want to go ahead and go ahead and give a shout out to to all the people who have who've come out in support of us. So I'm just gonna go kind of from the top of my list here: Cheston, Crichton, Demris, Joseph, Blood Valor, Curtis, Ravanta, Xavier, and a few that I've already thanked, but I'll thank again: Zilcoro, Params, Jason, and Big TBK. Thank you all so much. Your support means a ton to me, and it definitely enables me to produce more content, set aside more time for this, and uh, helps keep me coming back and doing it every single day. And it definitely feels like my time is uh, really rewarded uh, for the, the hours that I put into this and, and all that. So uh, a big thanks to you guys for your support. It means a lot. And uh, for that reason, of course, you guys will be watching this episode a day early. But with that said, let's talk about that Bard Epic. So two big sources for me. Uh, for the Bard Epic lore. I'm going to try to keep you guys abreast of the sources I use in case you guys want to further your own lore knowledge um, outside of these episodes, which you should because EverQuest lore is pretty rich, deep, and enjoyable. But the first source always for everything we ever talk about is always going to be in-game. So go do the Bard Epic, right? Or at least read through the Bard Epic on like Alla, P99 Wiki, or or a similar website if you if you don't want to take the time to do it. But the second piece, and it's particularly important for this, is the EverQuest Game Master's Guide from the EQRPG, okay? So this is important with the Bard Epic because when we talk about this Bard Epic, you're going to see that the Bard Epic is basically... Um, it, it's this weird thing where, like, the Epic is a sword. It's just an item that you get, and you spend the vast majority of the time during the Epic Quest helping out different Bards to get sheet music and to get um a magical loot a mystical loot 
that you turn in. And in exchange for those things, you are given the singing short sword, the Bard Epic 1.0. But no one ever actually tells you anything about the sword itself in the game. The only place I was able to find lore for that was in the Game Master's Guide. So we'll talk about that. But first, let's go through it with our most primary source, which is always going to be the game. And we'll talk about the, uh, the epic quest and how you are probably introduced to it um, in the game as a bard. So epics came out in Kunark, which means you're not going to encounter much until Kunark unless you're a paladin when you're doing your epic. In this case, in the Dreadlands, there is an ancient city totally abandoned. It's in the center of a massive set of spires. The biggest spires that you see anywhere in Norath, in fact. And uh, these spires, you know, we'll talk about it later, but spoiler alert, they were the spires that the Combine Empire used to leave Norath and go to the moon of Lucklin. Uh, we assume that the spires had to be so massive and they had many smaller spires within them because it was necessary to have that size and number of spires to channel the power necessary to travel all the way through um, through uh, the veil that separated Norath from Lucklin and, and hid it from us and to, to pierce that and land in the Nexus. So for us, for, for the mortals, you know, we wouldn't... I'm, I'm, now I'm doing a separate lore topic altogether. But anyway, for the mortals uh, that would come later and, and go during the Luckland expansion, we needed the Propylon of the Nexus and Al Kabor, the greatest wizard of our era, to activate those spires and later travel to the Nexus as well. But anyway, if you are in there, you'll find a small room with a throne of sorts in it and there's a living person, one of the only living people in the whole place. His name is Baldrick Slazaf. So when you talk to him, he says, hey, don't you think this would be a wonderful place to perform a symphony? And you're like, what do you mean? He says, it's been my dream for years to perform a symphony that will be remembered for ages to come. I have to run it. I have run to a few minor snags, however. And so you inquire about like what, what snags he's talking about several years ago. I bought sheets of the most beautiful sounding music from a traveling merchant. We'll come back to this traveling merchant later. He did not know the author of the work as it was simply signed the maestro. I wonder who that could be. The melody I played from them was wondrous and invoked feelings in me. I have never felt before. However, as I reached the middle of the music, I discovered it was missing two pages. So you ask about it. The pages were 24 and 25. And he's been searching for, for ages across the whole world for the perfect spot to hold his symphony. And he believes that this lost city in the Dreadlands is the perfect place to hold it. But he can't do it without the sheet music that he's missing, the two missing pages. And he needs a new lute crafted by the famous instrument maker, Forpar Fizzla, who, of course, is a gnome. So he tasks you with trying to get an instrument from Akanon from Forpar. Uh, he can't do it because Forpar, as you'll come to see, is uh, notoriously kind of a jerk, right? He's crotchety. He doesn't want to interact with people he doesn't already know, and he's getting old. And then he has no idea where the two missing sheets are, and he can't find them. But he does pull out the singing short sword, shows you this magical blade, and says, I might be willing to part with this wonderful sword if I were able to perform this symphony. You'd also gain recognition at the opening of the symphony. Okay, he sheathes the sword and begins to hum a haunting melody. So you go off into the world and somehow you should encounter clues that would lead you on the path to finding this item. 
So let's talk about the natural way that you might come across this. Well, there's sort of two parallel lines that you want to follow just for the pages, okay? So first, you could encounter Konia Swiftfoot, who is going to be in West Karana. And she's going to um, start you on this kind of race, right? She's going to give you a torch of Misty, and you're going to take that. You're going to run all the way to Misty Thicket to meet another bard there. He's going to give you a torch of Roe. Then you run all the way to, to the Desert of Roe. You meet Anda at Fila. Give him that, and that's... Um, that's going to be like close to the Inethul zone line. Then he's going to give you a Torch of Wrath. You run to the Lake of Wrath um, by the Arena zone line. You're going to give that to Misty. And then finally, that will give you the Proof of Speed. You take that back to Konia. Konia is going to give you only the top part of page 24. So she talks about having this amazing page that she found, but she doesn't really have any use for it when you, when you encounter her. And she says she'll give it to you as a prize for, for doing this, right? So when you prove it, you expect to get the whole page. But she says she'll only give you the top half of the page because the bottom half has um, has a signature on it that she really likes and thinks could be valuable. So you have this document, and supposedly there's a signature at the bottom, but you don't get it. So you say like, "Hey, how can I get this? You know, how how can I get this other half of the page?" And Konia basically says that she won't do it unless you get her an instrument um, that was used by the great Malin, or at least as good as what Malin had used. So from here, you don't really have a good, uh, a good lead, but you should encounter something else. The, I think the natural way, the intended way to figure this out is that you should be in unrest. You'll encounter a named zombie called Sarah. It's a, a woman zombie, or I guess a small child zombie is what it's supposed to be. And you could talk to it. And Sarah says, hello, can you help me? I lost something and I need it so I can go back home. And you say, hey, what did you lose? She says, I never got my doll for my birthday. Before he could bring it to me, I was hurt by the bad man. I cannot leave without the doll. Will you please help me? Hey, if you guys didn't know already, the Bard Epic is a really sad story and we're about to get into it. Um, and so you say, I'll help you. What doll is it? Um, she says, oh, great, but I can't remember his name. Uh, he gave me this note before I, she kind of trails off. Um, I think in Undeath, Sarah is beginning to lose all her memories. Seems natural, right? But she can't rest because she's waiting for something. She hands you this note and you see that it's a ripped Kanos Bard Guild flyer. So it's an advertisement for the Kanos Bards Guild and it's torn. And, um, and she just says, please find him so I can leave this place. So naturally, you would go to the uh, Bard Guild in Kanos. And you would talk to the guild leader there, Belius Neladian. Neladian? I don't know. We'll see. Um, so he says, hey, welcome. You know, I'm the leader of the, of the Kanos branch of the League of Antonkin Bards. I saved up a ton of money over the years and I bought this place. And then naturally, he tries to scam you. So you say, hey, I was given a ripped part of this flyer. And um, you're supposed to say, I'm, I'm looking for uh, a famous bard. Either one of those things, though, will result in the next line of dialogue, which is, you want to find a famous bard? Well, you must be seeking none other than the great Baynar Swift Song. He's not here, as you can see. Mayhaps you seek an, in, an audience with him. He's a busy man, and he has not the time to speak with everyone who wishes to preoccupy him with useless prattle. You are many, and he is but one. Leave him be, I beg of you, to continue his songwriting in peace. Now, 
just going out throughout Norath, you've probably seen Boehner out in the Karanas before anyway, so you kind of have an idea of what's going on here. Um, you can hand him the flyer, he'll say the same thing automatically, you get some EXP, blah blah blah. So, if you say that you do seek an audience with him, he says, he can give you a letter of introduction, otherwise uh, Boehner will ignore you. But, to get that letter, you have to give him 50 platinum pieces. So, you, you come up with the cash, and he gives you the letter, and then you go meet Baynar. He tells you to leave, or else he'll make a horrible song, and he'll sing it from the mountaintops. But you give him the note, and uh, he says, ah, Bellius sent you, hey? He shakes his head. I hope your letter of introduction didn't empty your purse, so I guess Baynar knows Bellius pretty well. And he says, what do you request? Um, and when you say you don't have a request for him, he says, uh, perhaps a tale of history will do. So he tells you the story of unrest. I'm not going to go over the whole lore of unrest, but he goes through his perspective, at least, of the lore of unrest, which talks about Garanel murdering his family, Quelius placing a curse on Garanel after he goes to, to um, the estate and, and kills the priest of Quelius there, blah, blah, blah. Um, so now you know Garanel's locked there forever. He talks more about ghosts, right? He says, Undead monsters, ghosts, and ghouls slaughter all those who stray. They say his undead power grows within him to this day. This sad tale, my friends, is the legend of unrest. You ask him about the ghouls, and he says, I've even heard of the ghosts of poor children haunting the estate. Have you ever seen a child's ghost? And if you say, like, hey, I actually have seen a child's ghost, he says, you have? Did it speak to you? What did it say? Only the essences of those unjustly wronged or the vilest of souls are bound to this realm and sometimes end up in that accursed place. Only that which binds them to this realm may set them free. Curse those who would harm an innocent child. I knew of one such unfortunate child. I was to bring her a doll for her birthday, but she fell to a thieving cutthroat's sword. Bainair's eyes fill with tears. Pardon me. She was like a daughter to me. I loved her as I would my own. And you say, what doll? What's that you say? You wish to have the doll I was to give her? Whatever for? Bah, never mind. I rant like an old woman sometimes. I should let her memory go. But I would stop my heart from beating before I forgot that child. Here, take this invoice. I have no further use for it. Give it to Marfin Bink Durple. So that is obviously a Solasek A. Um gnome in the the gnome fort there probably most players are familiar with that you go down there you and you give him that uh, note and he he comes off ah, about time you got your lazy bones down here i was beginning to worry about you thought you'd never pick up this doll me kin worked and toiled over this thing for days that banar was sure ex exact in every detail for a special child he said must be some child he spent all he had and some he didn't still owes us a show anyway I heard she passed away some time ago. Give the lad my regards. So really sad. Apparently, um, Boehner says that uh, this, this girl, Sarah, was like a child to him, like a, like a daughter to him, and he spent all of his wealth and even went into debt in order to buy this doll for her. And then before he could give it to her for her birthday, she died. And she was apparently killed by a thieving cutthroat. So you go back to Sarah, and you give her the doll. She says, oh, you have the dolly. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can go home now. Please give this to my father, Baynar. He will understand when he gets it. And then she fades away, saying bye-bye. 
So you get a note from Banar, or, or for Banar, sorry. But note that every time we get a note in this sequence, it's not the kind of note that you can read in game. And casting identify on the notes just says the name of the note itself. So there's no additional information provided in game in any fashion that I've been able to find on any of these items. So you give him the note. He says, a note for the child. How can that be? How could she know I was her father unless Sira told her, forgive me? Sira was the name of a woman to whom I was betrothed. Unfortunately, her parents forbade her from marrying a lowly bard such as myself. Her father married her off to a young merchant in Kanos named Malagar. She married him only out of respect to her father. Her heart was truly mine, at least so she always said. When Sarah was born, I visited them often. She was like no other, so innocent and sweet. In those few years, I watched her grow up to be more and more like her mother, and I saw none of the father in her appearance. I do not like Malagar, but the least we can do is inform him of his child's death. I saw his caravan pass by not more than a day ago, headed to Kanos. So he's a Shadow Knight that spawns in, in West Karana. Um, you go over and you give him the note from Baynar, and he says, hmm, what's this, a note from that silly bard Baynar? I was unaware that those kind could write, much less read. He lets out a deep laugh. I see you did not share my sense of humor. Let's read it, shall we? Oh no, she's dead. I knew that already, you fool. It was by my hand she died. Oops, did I let that slip out? Silly me. I guess I'll have to kill you now. And then you have to, you know, fight Malagar. You kill him. You tell Baynar, and he says, That vile dog. I knew there was something not right with him. The way he stared at everyone with contempt, even his own wife. I curse him. I curse him to stay upon the realm and deny him what he most desires. This is too much. I cannot play or write this day. The sadness overwhelms me. In honor of Sarah, the daughter that was denied to me in spirit, I vow never to play this instrument again. It was her favorite, and she listened to me play for hours on end. Here, take it. Take it out of my sight. Leave me be with my grief and my loss. You receive Malin's mystical bongos. So, if you take those bongos back to Konia, she says, Malin's bongos, here, take the other half of the sheet music. I can't really make out what the signature says anyway. Now you have the full Maestro Symphony, page 24. And wow, was it a sad story to get there, but at least you were able to bring peace to Sarah's uh, ghost, and you were able to get justice for her and for Bainer. So now you want to um, get page 25, right? You had 24 and 25 to get. You get page 25, and by the way, once again, if you inspect try to open or identify the bottom half of this page you can't find out any more information it's just the maestro symphony so i was thinking that maybe you'd be able to see something about the signature unfortunately that is not the case um now you talk to Kalkim menkia and she looks over a broken lute that she has she says my lute was mangled by those damnable gnolls i have no idea how i'm gonna get a new set of strings for it they were so rare and you say, what was so rare about them? She says, I only use the finest lute strings on my lute. My uncle got them for me from across the world. His name was Zendrick the Worm Slayer. As his name implies, he killed many worms and drakes. The strings for my lute were all made from the guts of the worms and drakes he slew. Now you ask for details. She tells you exactly what kind she, she needs. Then you go all across to Kunark and a little bit in Wrath Mountains, and you get the drake guts. 
and bring them back to her. Um, so once you do that, she says, hey, you know what? Thank you for helping me out. Take this old sheet of music I found. I don't think I'm going to have much use for it. Now I'm just going to go bash some gnolls in the head with my loot. We never find out any detail about why Kelkim and, um, and uh, Konia had the two missing pages. It's never revealed at all. But nevertheless, now you have the two missing pages for the Maestro Symphony, which means when you return, you will have the entire symphony uh, available for Baldrick. Now, all that's left is for you to assemble, well, to, uh, to, to get Forpar to create this mystical loot that he wants. Should be easy, right? All you have to do is go to Akanon, talk to this gnome, and get him to make the, uh, the loot. No problem, at least compared to getting those two pages. So you go to, you go to this dwarf for part and you talk to him and he says, basically, fuck off. He's not going to help you. He doesn't want to talk to you. Well, that's not good. But, um, luckily if you take the boat from the ocean of tears and, uh, go to, go down to a butcher block by the docks, you'll meet, um, a bard there, Vetico. So Vetico is going to talk to you and she's going to say that, Hey, while she was traveling here across the ocean of tears, a giant cyclops attacked her and stole her horn. So that, of course, is Quag Maelstrom from the um, Sea Fury Island. If you go kill him and you get the horn that he drops and you take it back to her, she will say, hey, uh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for helping me. Um, here is a note for my friend Forpar. If you could deliver it to him, that would be great because I uh, wanted to go see him, but now I don't have time to do it. So. You go do that. You give him the note, and he says, oh, hey, if you're a friend with Vetico, then you must be good people. Vetico's a good person, and if she trusts you, then I trust you. So he's like, hey, I hope you don't want me to make you an instrument, though. And you're like, actually, I do want you to make an instrument. He says, basically, like, I only want to make, basically, my magnum opus, the best instrument to ever be made, and no one is really up to the task of acquiring the items that you would need to craft such an instrument. And you say, well, I'll give it a try. He tells you that he needs the backbone of an ancient fish man. This is for the head, by the way, just the head. A tentacle from an amygdalin and a petrified skull of a lycanthrope. So the werewolf skull is from Karnor's castle. That's from a Drolvar warlord. The amygdalin tendril is from the plane of fear itself. And the ancient backbone from the Fishman is, of course, the Kedge backbone from the last remaining Kedge in the whole world. Well, at least we believe that to be the last one at this point in uh, EverQuest progression. So he needs some rare items indeed. You have to travel the plains and assault the denizens of the Plane of Fear. You have to invade the stronghold of the ancient Ixar Lich Veneral Sathir. And you have to kill the last remaining Kedge, who, by the way, had a rivalry with Al Kabor in his day. So, no small feat. Nevertheless, when you bring it back to him, he says, Wow, I didn't think you'd be able to gather all these things. He does some work on it and, at, and then hands you the loot head and says, Do you want to get the rest? Of course, you want to get the rest. So, you say, Sure. He says, The next stuff is going to be even harder to come by. Can you imagine? But anyway, what he needs for the body will be metal bits. Okay, doesn't sound so bad. And then a red dragon scale and a white dragon scale. So naturally, you have to go kill a red and white dragon. Um, traditionally, this is Nagafin and Lady Vox, the two Ring of Scale members who were banished 
from the Ring of Scale for attempting to create a new Caraferum, another version of the Sleeper. They wanted to mate. They were of opposing colors, and so they were imprisoned in their respective strongholds by magical means and abandoned by the Ring of Scale. Um, or I suppose in in sort of fantasy-ish trope setting, you could just acquire a scale without killing them, but for our part, they have to be killed. And yes, technically you could get Talendor and Gornair as well, or even Nortlab the Scalekeeper, but I think for the original intent, um, it was a red and white dragon scale from Lord Nagafin and Lady Vox. So you bring it back, he says, wow, you're doing a wonderful job. I wish I could go out and gather these things myself. He sits back down at his desk and pulls out several very strange looking tools, and after a few more minutes, the body is done, and he gives it to you. Then he says, the strings. The perfect strings for him would come from an ancient poison dragon that is between life and undeath in some in-between state. He heard that there was such a dragon somewhere around Kunar. So for this, to get the strings for this mystical loot that this gnome is trying to make, you've got to travel into the ancient fallen city of Sebelis, the previous seat of the Sibelesian Empire, aka the peak state of power of the Ixars, um, when they were at their very best, you have to go all the way to the depths, and you have to fight the undead dragon that destroyed their empire, Trachanon. All that so you can get some dragon gut strings from Trachanon to bring it back to Forpar to be the strings for this loot. And then you bring it back. You do all this. He says, goodness, I can hardly contain myself. This will be my greatest creation ever. Well, I would hope so. He sits down. He slides the loot head into place, screws it together. After a few minutes, he begins, he begins to string the loot with the gut strings of the poison dragon. A wonderful sound fills the air as he strums the loot once and hands it to you. I hope you find a good use for that. I bet you could play it from the mountaintops and the people below would hear you. Thank you for making my lifelong dream come true. You take this all the way back to the Dreadlands, and I suppose his words uh, were important, what Forpar said, because uh, Baldric Slezaf is, is indeed in the mountains and uh, hopes that the world will hear him. And you deliver to him the Maestro Symphony, page 24 and 25, and the mystical loot from Forpar. Um, it was an epic quest indeed, involved killing three dragons, extraplanar beings, the last of a dying, powerful race, proving your speed, avenging a ghost and a father, and destroying an evil merchant. All of that to come to this point, you give it all to Baldric, and Baldric looks at you, shocked, as you hand in the pages and the loot. I will put on a symphony the likes of which the gods have never seen. Thank you so much. Please take this sword as a token of my gratitude. And you get the sword, but it's never revealed how the sword came to be, what it is, who Baldric is, where he comes from. We never hear any of that. We don't know who the maestro is, though we can assume. And uh, I think most importantly, we never find anything about who this merchant was. Why did the merchant have the rest of the symphony? And did, did he also have the sword? I think, I think it's implied that he did have the sword and the symphony itself um, and sold them both to Baldric. So 
uh, that that's never answered anywhere in the quest or anywhere in talking to any of the other NPCs that I could find. So luckily, our handy dandy EQRPG bot, EQRPG guide, uh, expands on it a little bit, and I'll read you some of the details now. Much uncertainty surrounds the origin of this artifact, the Singing Shore Sword, though one myth. The word myth important, is important here, I think, so you take it with a grain of salt. Um, one myth has survived the chaos of Norath's history long ago when the world was new. A human bard by the name of Kimrick set out for the knowledge to create the finest weapon he could. His search took him to the very edges of Norath and eventually to the new stronghold of Kanos. So already here, um, you can see some of the mythiness of this come out. Um, because it says long ago when the world was new. Uh, well, when the world was new, the only people here, right? It was the age of scale. Nothing existed except for Vishan's children. Even when humanity was new, they were just barbarians. And it was only later that they would spread out, establish Ocean Green, and even later still that they would establish what we now know as Kanos. So uh, the timeline here is questionable. Like, I don't think that the city of Kanos and the Combine Empire even ever existed at the same time, right? Uh, Kanos is very much, much later in the timeline. Nevertheless, we'll continue with the story. While traveling through the city, admiring its clear fish pools and pristine buildings, he heard a voice on the wind, unlike any he had heard before. Following it, he came to a small pond where a maiden sat. She looked longingly into the water, singing a melody so sweet that Kimrick was moved to tears. The maiden stopped, embarrassed that her singing had gained the attention of a traveling stranger. It took no more than a week before the two became inseparable. Ruinwin, that's the maiden's name, and Kimrick made solemn vows to one another, forsaking all others. The rather self-centered young man had found his muse, and her voice, her beauty, and her goodness inspired Kimrick to work even harder on his quest. He spent nearly all his waking moments now fashioning a blade, lovingly crafting the short sword until its shine rivaled that of Ruinwind's eyes and its strength matched the loyalty in her heart. No better sword had been crafted in Kanos. Unfortunately, as his obsession with perfection grew, the blade and its self-absorption also grew. The time he spent with Ruinwind dwindled. She took to walking the streets, speaking with strangers, and hearing tales from far-off lands. Perhaps, she felt, if she gathered enough gossip and foreign news for her love, she could better entertain him. Sadly, Kimrick was blind to her true intentions and mistook her street-walking for betrayal. He began to follow her through the city, watching her smile and charm the travelers that passed through. Her voice would leave them spellbound, and men gathered to woo her. Though her heart remained true, Kimrick knew only jealousy in his heart. In his mind, her sweet words were to him, dripping with lies, and her eyes spoke of infidelity. She returned one evening to find Kimrick waiting up. Full of rage, he accused her of betrayal and, without waiting for an explanation, buried the gleaming short sword in her chest, watching her slump to the ground in anguished confusion. Some say that at this moment, Ruinwen cried out to the heavens for vengeance and that it was Inaruk, the prince of hate himself, who heard her plea. At the moment, her spirit left her body and fused with Kimrick's... Oh, sorry, at that moment, 
her spirit left her body and fused with Kimrick's shining blade. In a panic, Kimrick disposed of the body and lost himself in wine and debauchery. One evening, as he returned home in a drunken stupor, he drew the sword from its sheath. Into his mind came the song of Ruinwin, the very tune that he had heard upon their first meeting. So horrifying it was now, yet so beautiful still. Day and night, the melody filled his mind. Slowly expanding into a virtual symphony, until he had to sit down in his study and begin to write the music that would not let him rest. Day and night, he spent writing Ruinwin's symphony, so persistent it was. Her spirit would not let him rest, and the melodies consumed him, feeding his selfishness and his anguish until he turned to the gods themselves and demanded freedom. Inarok's ear is ever open to despair and pain, and, pleased with Kimrok's pitiful cries, he took the bard into his realm, twisting him into the very image of ugliness that his former murderous act warranted. A maestro he had become, and now he dwells in Inarok's hateful realm, replaying a haunting song for eternity. I think this is implying that he is the maestro of Rancor, right? And um, that is called the Maestro Symphony when you get it during the Epic Quest in-game. However, there is other content in EverQuest, specifically a quest in EverQuest Online Adventures, the prequel to EverQuest, which suggests that uh, the Maestro of Rancor, Rancor is known as Videl Revnold, and we'll probably do a future episode just on the Maestro. But I just wanted to point out that we do have several conflicting pieces of evidence as to the identity of the Maestro. This book says that the person here, Kimrick, who fashioned the singing short sword, became a maestro in Plane of Hate. Not the maestro of Rancor, necessarily, but I think it's the only maestro I know. And the the pages of the symphony in the game are signed by the maestro. So it seems logical. Now, this book that I'm reading was written in 2002. I consider this to be still, well, sorry, it was published in 2002, probably written before that. So I consider this to be a decent source. Some of these books for EverQuest can get crazy, especially much later content that was added by people who were wholly uninvolved and, un and uh, didn't consult the original lore at all. Um, but for, for what it's worth, I think that this book is pretty good and most of the other content and the RPG series of books is pretty faithful as far as I can tell. So for now, at least for the purpose of this episode, until we do uh, a little bit more investigation, we're going to go with this. We're going to assume that the Maestro of Rancor is the one and only uh, Kimrick who fashioned the singing short sword, which would imply, in my opinion, that that wandering merchant um, that they encountered was perhaps Inarook in disguise. Maybe that uh, was what kicked off this whole bard epic quest, was that Inarook disguised himself as a merchant, Baldrick met him, purchased this haunting melody, and the sword um but as for that we'll probably never know nevertheless we'll wrap up this story here okay so uh, the sword and the symphony were lost over time until another bard baldrick slezaf happened upon the blade in the possession of a traveling merchant the same merchant offered him the pages of the symphony as well much to baldrick's chagrin, chagrin however the symphony was incomplete he spent the next few years hunting down the missing pages and gathering up lost information regarding the tragedy of Kimrick. The blade has been in Baldrick's possession since, and some say he would trade the singing short sword itself for the missing pieces 
of Kimrick's woeful symphony. Rumor has it that Baldrick's obsession with the melody has clouded his mind over the years, and that any who come in contact with the bard risk suffering a fate similar to that of Lady Ruinwyn. That is the story of the singing short sword, the bard epic. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm glad that it was a, a kind of a good and rich story that touched on a lot of different things, but I'm most glad that it left us with room for imagination and it left us with some enduring mysteries. Who was the merchant? How did that merchant come into the possession of the um, of the Maestro Symphony or Kimrick's Woeful symf Symphony? How did he come to possess the singing short sword? And what happened to Kimrick? Did Kimrick become the Maestro of Rancor? Is he just some other lowly extra planar denizen in the Plane of Hate, separate from Videl Revnold, who might be the real Maestro of Rancor? Uh, perhaps we will never know, but. I think it bears future investigation, so we'll do that. Uh, with all that said, I hope you guys enjoyed this little lore episode. I know it's a little bit shorter than our usual, but I still enjoyed it. And I'm excited to explore a lot more lore and go into things with a little bit more depth than what we might be used to when we talk about EverQuest lore. And uh, there's no shortage of it, so we should have many, many episodes to work with. My next lore episode is going to be recorded tomorrow. I don't know when I'll release it but we're going to be doing the lore of the giants. Not just like a particular group of giants, but all the giants. We're going to be looking at fire giants, frost giants, hill giants, nightfall giants, sand giants, forest giants, and even the giants from the serpent's spine. So we'll be covering all that content and uh, along with stuff from the Chrome Rift and the Chrome Zek, the Curse, the Rulosian Empire. We'll touch on all of that. And I'm going to be doing it with a buddy of mine um, who's going to be there to talk about the lore with me and uh yeah i mean that's going to be the thing so i look forward to to doing that with my friend liverflap aka big gorlami and i hope you guys will enjoy that episode whenever it comes out but uh with that said this is eight out have a good day <laughs>